Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin, here with my ever-reliable co-host, Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos. Hey, Sean. What's the How's it going? Uh, everything I'm, feels I'm a little bit different today. It does feel a little bit different, and it's not just because it's Halloween. No, And it's it is not just because us. we were back from Game Hall Con, that was which nice. was wonderful. But we have some big news right off the top here. Uh, we are going our own way. We are starting our very own podcasting journey. We have been hosted by Misdirected Mark for the extent of our time here. Uh, everyone there has been wonderful and supportive. Uh, Senda and Rob, when he was still with the network, uh, Doc Palindrome, our editor, Jesse, uh, great. Uh, we want to thank Chris Nizak and the people that started down with D&D. Uh, and Phil and Bob and all the people at the Misdirected Mark podcast who were our Patreon co-conspirators uh, for all these years. But now it is time for us to break out of this shell and swim on our own. So uh, <laughs> so what, what do you think? What do you think about that, Teos? Uh, it is exciting. It is exciting. I mean, our hope is that we can do things like restart the YouTube channel, right? Which we were, a lot of folks were enjoying and then it, it, it uh, was not able to be easily set up. So now we can do that. Um, we can more easily respond to things, uh, you know, if, if a show goes up and it's the wrong audio file or something like that, it's a lot easier if it's just the two of us to, to get those kinds of things done. And these are things that folks have been asking for. Um, but also we can be a little more responsive too. So we've got a new Patreon where you can mm -hmm. support our show and now you're directly working with us. So you'll get the show notes, show notes directly from us right after we do a show. Uh, all the links in the, in the show notes will be there for you. Uh, you can also reach us directly. So, you know, sure, Tweetbag was fun, but now we can really have that as a primary place where fans can really reach us and say to us, hey, I want to hear about this topic or I have this particular question. So that lets us be more responsive to you. Um, and it lets us cover the costs that we've got with the show. Um, yeah. So we have new sites, right? Mm -hmm. We do. Uh, the first one is our Patreon which is on patreon.com slash mastering DND. That's D, the letter N, and D. Um, and we're also now on Podbean at masteringdungeons.podbean.com. So as Teo said, you know, you can support us there. Uh, many of you have been supporting us through Misdirected Mark, and we appreciate that. And we, we hope you continue to do that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you do have the, you know, the spare, the spare change to give us some uh, monthly incentive to keep up the good work, to get the episodes out, and, you know, maybe every now and then having some little extra fun, um, <laughs> fun things to give you, we can do that as well. Yeah. All right, so shall we go to our? I don't know what we're going to call this. Is it still the tweet bag? Is it Patreon missive? What will it become? We'll see. Uh, Twissive, tweetive. Twiss. <laughs> uh, we we will call it the tweet bag right now since that is such a horrifying uh, term that we <laughs> wouldn't want to give it up, especially at Halloween. It's especially horrifying now. Yeah. Yeah. So our first uh, tweet bag entry is from David at Cinnamon Games, and he wrote about inspiration in the one D&D playtest packet. Uh, so he says, the proposed changes create a whole system with racial, racial features, feats, die rolls, and more laborious resource tracking 
to essentially create one more way to make an outcome more or less likely, i.e. yet one more way to gain advantage. Players don't get new verbs, new ways to express themselves. They just get incentivized to roll as many d20s as possible. This adds a problematic intrinsic reward to rolling dice, which in my humble opinion should be a mechanic to resolve uncertainty in an exciting way rather than being the objective in itself. Mm -hmm. To me, D&D isn't a game about rolling dice. As fun as rolling dice in appropriate amounts is, it can get to a point where it slows things down and hinders immersion. And yes, all of this yeah. is true. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later when we talk about uh, the current chapter that we're on in our 5e review. So I don't want to get too far into it, but it is one of these friction points between D&D &D as a narrative, uh, a narrative story dri driving machine and a game that relies on dice rolls to succeed. And what is too much dice rolling and what is not enough dice rolling uh, is a matter of taste, a matter of preference. But at some point, there is there does seem to be a time when any almost any player would say, wow, that was a lot of die rolling to get to this one thing, which we could have resolved much more easily. Yeah. Yeah, and I haven't rolled, uh, I haven't done a play test with these rules, but but I have heard from some folks who are doing it. And I think it's been, you know, okay, but there is that danger that when you know that rolling a die can produce this beneficial result that you get to hold on to, right, inspiration, whether it's for you or for a buddy, mm -hmm. it does create that incentive to just try stuff. Well, let's just roll dice whenever we can, because rolling dice has a chance of giving us this lasting benefit. And that that is problematic. I, I don't think it's hugely problematic in this in this version, but it, it edges in there to where one could consider, you know, if two things are equal, but one of them lets you roll dice as part of it, that one might be slightly better because I might also get advantage. Right. You know, and and that's a kind of behavioral change. Like you don't want people to me, and we'll talk about this more later when we cover it. But but it is that sort of thing of where you want to step back and say, what are we trying to do with inspiration? Are we creating dice rolling situations? Like, is that the point? Like, maybe the point is we're going to engage people by making them roll lots of dice. You know, that could be a thing. But I don't think that's what they are trying to do, right? So then, and that brings out right. the question of what, what you're designing and what is it attaining. Yep. So uh, thank you, David, for that uh, comment and question. Like I said, we will talk more about this later. And the second uh, Patreon missive from the tweet bag is Andrew. Uh, at OZ underscore DM asking, should the next edition of D&D be designed for players or DMs? More powerful PCs and odd mechanics add to the DM workload. I didn't play 4E, but I gather this may have been a factor for alienated DMs. So who buys most of the products, DMs or players? Mm -hmm. Which is the priority and what circumstances drive that decision? Boy, let's just get right to the heart of the matter here, right? Yeah. Uh, when you talk about D&D as a game and D&D as a product that is uh, a business that is trying to be sold, you know, what do we create and why do we create it? And does the creation of that uh, maybe make more money but hurt the game? Or is making more money 
the the point of the game uh, <laughs> which 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 is a game in and of itself um so should the next edition of DD be designed for players or dms teos that that is a philosophical wow. question that i will leave to you for the moment <laughs> well uh, yeah that's a great question i i don't know um yeah uh in some way, I, I edge towards players in that I think that if the game is fun enough to play, you, and this is what's happened from the beginning of time, right? The, the game is super fun for players, but it then inspires someone to be the DM, uh, either selflessly or because you want to be the person who is in charge of that, right? Who facilitates that. And, and when I watched my first DM DM for us, as much as I enjoyed playing, I thought, wow, that is so cool that they're doing this. I want mm -hmm. to do that too, right? And it wasn't necessarily about how great it was to be a DM. It was more that I wanted to to play this function in our in our sort of social group, right? That interested me and, and looked fun. The job of it seemed fun, right? Not yeah. not that it was intrinsically rewarding, though it was too. Um, yeah. But it is true that that if you if you make the the job harder for the DM, and and I, what I would say, I'd less say hard because hard can be a lot of things, and sometimes it's just another form of engaging. But when it's intimidating, right? So like even right now, and it's true of basically every edition, when you ask people, uh, let's say Adventures League judges that run month after month after month, and you say to them, hey, we've got a tier four adventure to run. Easily half of them, if not three quarters, and will say, I don't want to run that. Mm -hmm. And these are right. people who run all the time, right? So that intimidation level is high. And that whether it's true or not, I mean, and it is partially true that it is more work less reward you know that does get in the way of play so yeah uh, i think you want to look at that right so i put up a twitter poll uh, on twitter on twitter obviously uh at the misdirected mark uh sorry at the mastering dungeons twitter feed and the question was you know what as a dm where do you get your enjoyment and the the answers were pretty interesting um I, I I broke it down. You can only do four answers. I'm trying to pull it up right now. So I did, um, you know, the first one is playing the monsters and the NPCs. So sort of playing the, the game of it. Uh, the next one I did was you know, leading the, the story, leading characters through a story. One was presenting the world to your players. And the last one was using the rule system, adjudicating the rule system. And it's only been up for a couple of hours now, but so far the uh, majority of the people have said leading a story over fifty percent. Um, yeah, and that's what I would have. Presenting. That's what I yeah, did choose as well. And that's <laughs> what I chose. Presenting a world is next. So if you consider the story and the world as to, as two sort of enmeshed things, that's 84 percent of respondents say this. Playing the monsters and the NPCs and adjudicating the rules are only at 15%. Uh, so that, to me, obviously a very unscientific um, unscientific survey at this point, but it shows heavily that most DMs, at least that are watching our show and interacting with us, it's about the story in the world. It's not about the, the dice overall. Yeah. And so what that what this question from Andrew says is, you know, players like options, players like building characters to do certain things. Doesn't mean they don't like story, but that 
when you're trying to sell things, that's what players are going to buy. They're not going to buy a book of here are 10,000 backstories that your characters might have, right? They're buying the feats and the, the subclasses and those sorts of things. And if the players are focused in that direction, but DMs are getting the most fun by leading the story and by presenting a world, um, there is some friction there. There is, yeah. you know, some sometimes some heavy heavy friction. So, you know, what sh what should the next edition of D and D be designed for? If we're looking at sales and if we're looking at interest, it should be designed for DMs to lead stories and present a world, and it should be for players to roll dice and and have cool character options both yeah um so you don't want to give player options that aren't rules related and you don't want to give dm options that are strictly dice rolling things um you, you want to market things right right tie you want to market things work. in those direction right right um so you know what is the priority the priority i think is split I think DM facing products need to be a certain thing and do a certain thing and player facing products need to be a thing and do a thing. And they're, they might not nicely mesh, but the market sort of speaks for itself in what content and how that content is presented is pretty clear. Yeah. No, those are good thoughts. Yeah. I hope so. So thank you for the, that, uh, those two questions from David and Andrew. Now on to our news and commentary section. We have been talking about the one D&D playtest and the second survey, the one that covers the one D&D expert classes, has been live for a while now. It went live while we were recording at GameholeCon. And it is open until November 10th. So at the dropping of the show, you will still have a week or so. Uh, to fill out that survey. So make sure you do so. Have you filled out your survey? Uh, that is on my list for today. But uh, okay. but I know that I'll be looking at my notes from uh, what we've done in the last, let's see, one, two, three, l the last four episodes of mm -hmm. Mastering Dungeons, we went through and really broke, uh, you know, analyzed, broke apart the different pieces of what this one D&D playtest is. So if you... Yeah. Uh, if you need to go back and check out those episodes, it is all there for you. That is all there. And I was heartened. This We don't have this in our news, but they're putting up, they being Wizards of the Coast, is putting up videos with Jeremy Crawford talking about Dragonlance and some mm -hmm. of the things. And the, the most recent one from a couple days ago talked about the Lunar Sorcerer, which they had had in an Unearthed Arcana mm -hmm. playtest packet. And I was heartened a bit by by Jeremy talking about it. And talking about what is in the final version as opposed to what was in the playtest packet and the reasons that they changed some of the things. And it 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 showed at least they were cognizant of some opinions, if not responding to them directly with what the final version is. Um, so these th this was my long-winded way of saying this feedback is looked at and it is listened to. So don't think it's not, uh, and don't fail to put in your thoughts because you think they're not paying attention. Because I think the uh, the R and D folks at D and D uh, are are listening. 
Yeah, they are. And and don't think that because you've said something, you know, on your social media choice that somehow wizards heard that, right? Right. The the survey results by people who actually fill out surveys must back up the discourse to be the discourse. Otherwise, what it shows right. is there's a giant split, right? And so yeah. it, so don't yeah. think that that just because you've said it on your blog or somewhere else uh, you know, I've got to fill this out too, right? It doesn't matter that I see it on a podcast or on a stream. I've got to do it or right. it doesn't count. So. Right, because the numbers are the numbers, yeah. uh, regardless of what the context behind those numbers are. And if they do sure. it at all like they did in D&D Next, they're going to track these things over time, right? They're going to look at how things trend. And that was a big part if you look at, at any of these sort of post-fifth edition creation videos that we've shared the links to in the past. They go and they they look at, you know, here is how the rogue class changed over time. Here's how the monk, you know, here's how this was rated or that was rated. So it's super important that that the that the results are as accurate as possible, which only comes from lots of people filling out surveys. Yep. Yep. When well, for years now, people have been asking, well, what about digital bundles with printed books? And it could never be done because Wizards never had a great online source of material to make those bundles work. Well, guess what? Wizards is now offering digital bundles. Uh, they recently offered the bundle for Dragonlance that will include the physical book and the D&D Beyond version at a reduced price. What else have they offered, Teos? Well, uh, it's, you know, in addition to Dragonlance, which was something new, we've got old stuff repackaged. So you can pay 170 bucks for the combined physical and digital rules expansion gift set. This is the Monsters of the Multiverse Tasha Xanathar's thing. So you get that in both digital and physical version. Or $65, and this is interesting, for the campaign case terrain set, those little discs of the terrain we talked about, and a digital copy of the DMG. Right, because there is no digital campaign case terrain thing. So, and right. the creatures version has the exact same thing. So you probably don't want both. Um, and then $170 for the core rule books in the slipcase, plus the digital version of the core rule books, you know, DMG, MM, Player's Handbook. And they say this is for a limited time, but I mean, obviously, this is a thing we're going to start seeing. And I have a few takeaways from this, Sean. So mm -hmm. one is, hey, if I'm a store, right, your local friendly gaming yeah. store i'm going uh-oh this is not cool you know i'm in yeah. trouble now um and then uh the the second point being i wonder if any of this is an attempt to sort of move product prior mm -hmm. to any new release so there's plenty of time for that but i'm curious whether at all it's tied to that because someone out there in fact a number of people on twitter commented to me saying why would you buy this now? To which I go, well, I love all my old books. I would buy anything at any time. But but mm -hmm. yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm curious. Is that going to be a, a thing? <laughs> yeah. And it's also good if you have extra inventory, uh, right? You, you can say, well, we, we have thousands of this product left over, these minis or, mm -hmm. or this. So we'll sell it. We'll add this incentive to also get free stuff on um, on D&D Beyond and everybody's happy feeling like they got a good deal. And, you know, I, I would worry about gaming stores, but if, if, if wizard somehow does this with new books, regardless of where you buy them, 
then that would be helpful to game stores. I don't know is that they will do that. That's not what they're doing now because you have to get all of this stuff from the D&D store, uh, you know, dot wizards.com. But it, it gives hope that maybe there will be more of this um, for everyone to uh, partake of the spoils of D&D sales. Right. Because, you know, Wizards does want, they do want game stores around, despite right. the grumbling of how Wizards is killing game stores. Uh, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, and they do count on game stores for running things like Friday Night Magic mm -hmm. and running, you know, these other events. So there will be, I assume, something throwing game stores a bone and giving them something that will bring people in i hope yeah and, and i don't super understand stores like I, I i the logic of it never really strikes me as as logic that is something i inherently accept like i'm always like oh wow okay so for example when uh D, &D encounters came out mm -hmm. i spoke to a number of gaming stores at a certain event where they were saying that is such a lifeblood Mm -hmm. Right. Like like that is critical to us that D&D encounter ex exists because it brings people to the store and they buy stuff. And without that, it would be a totally different picture. And I'm like, oh, OK, I wouldn't have, you know, like I'd like to right. believe that, but I don't know that I would have believed it. And I and what I hear now is the alternate covers are amazing. And I've even heard people say, like, we're so we feel so thankful that the really cool cover is the one mm -hmm. we get. And that right. these other alternate covers, you know, are, are not that one because that'll mean sales for us. And so clearly that is a thing that matters and that happens. Right. And I think that it, it's stores are, in fact, counting on you go in and buy that one alternate cover, but you probably pick up another two things while you're there. Mm -hmm. And that's what it really takes. Right. And so if that at all goes away or if it gets watered down, then that could be that could be tough. Right. If, if, say, the things have been flipped, if Dragonlance said the really cool cover is with the bundle that we do. Mm -hmm. Right. And any other way you buy it, you get a slightly foil version of the normal cover. Well, you know, that might not do it. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we'll, we will always be keeping an eye on that, on, on our news, you know, ways that game stores are being supported. Uh, speaking of being supported by a lot of hot air, Watsy Extra Life is partnering uh, with Wizards of the Coast to raise funds for the Children's Miracle Network hospitals, as they often do. And this year, how are they doing that? They're doing with it with the flump, flumps. With the double flump. <laughs> We've got our Game Hole right. flumps that we're showing here. Game Hole Con flumps. Get our new YouTube video. Um, there you go. Yeah, I, I saw this while I was at Game Holcon and I basically almost fell out of my chair because I'd been running a flump adventure all weekend. So more flump was exactly what I needed. Uh, the shirt has Flapjack the Flump Pirate. It's from Spelljammer Adventures. Uh, and the phrase, be a hero, play D&D. &D. And boy, I could not buy that shirt fast enough, Sean. <laughs> this shocks everybody. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was all I, the real restraint was me not buying like 10 of them or two of them or because my brain immediately like, what if I get a hole in it, spill some sauce on it? You know, like right. I should have a backup somewhere. And but I showed immense restraint and purchased only one of them and the pin that is also available there. 
So 50% yep. goes to Extra Life. Uh, Magic the Gathering also has a secret layer drop inspired by children's drawings that's part of it, T-shirts and a play map. So all of that is on the Magic the Gathering. mtgproshop.com forward slash extra-life-shop. Mm -hmm. Link in our show notes. So from Flumps to Dragonlance, do you want a sneak peek of Dragonlance? Well, you can do that by going to DM or play at PAX Unplugged. Uh, Baldman Games is organizing the D&D play at PAX Unplugged this year, featuring the following games. Uh, they are going to play the first two chapters of Dragonlance Shadow of the Dragon Queen. That is the hardcover adventure coming out. Um, so you can sit down and play those first two chapters with one of the wow. expert DMs from Baldman Games. They're also playing Dragonlance Vault of the Undying, which is an intro to the new campaign that was created specifically by Baldman Games. Um, lots of other stuff running there. What, what else do you got going on? I mean, Epic for the Vault of the Undying campaign, the Dragonlance campaign, D&D demos for 15 to 20 minutes. That's a nice length. I, I like that. And they were running those at Gamehole too. Really, really good stuff. Uh, and then a longer 90 to 120 minute intro to D&D game. So uh, you, I believe, can still register. I'm pretty sure you can still register for this uh, at baldmangames.com forward slash PAXU. Link in our show notes. You can just run three slots to get a full show badge for PAXU. Uh, and you get cool stuff the more that you judge. So it's it's worth checking out if you want to DM but, or attend and play through all these really awesome things. Mm -hmm. Awesome things are all about D&D because the D&D movie is bringing new D&D toys and comics to us. Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast has announced Dicelings, a set of toys that transform from D20s into monsters, Transformer style. Uh, we have seen the Beholder, the Owlbear, the Red Dragon, and the Black Dragon. Uh, the uh, follow-up announcement also named the dragons. The Red Dragon is Thembershod from Out of the Abyss, and the Black Dragon is called Raycor, which which we haven't heard of before, so maybe this is something new. Yeah, they, cool. have, they have also announced action figures from the D&D movie showing the main characters, um, also, a foam sword and axe are shown based on the weapons that these characters wield. It's cool. It's, it's all set that, up for kids, you know, young kids to be like, I want to be like her and, you know, like, wield this big axe and pretend to be a barbarian. And that's wonderful. Oh, totally. Uh, well, anything else from these announcements that you noted? So I watched the video. Um, you know, it's funny. Everybody's trying to make like Marvel style unveiling videos <laughs> but, but it's right. cool the dice things look great they are clearly more than meets the eye uh mm -hmm. the action figures you know look fun and and you can put them in the gelatinous cube that was for sale previously it's not entirely clear what is gonna all be on hasro pulse i think on ian world there was some good coverage showing kind of what's where um, so like the dicelings appear that they will be in stores i think the figures are only exclusive to hasbro pulse um and then one of the things I really loved is there's a prequel comic book called The Feast of the Moon. And then a little golden book is being mm -hmm. released called Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon. And I mean, that's classic. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Dungeons so. and Dragons, the cartoon, the adventure begins. begins. So maybe there will be more coming. I didn't uh, think little golden book still existed. Uh so that shows you what, what I know. 
and hey more D D is more better yeah i mean you can pre-order the book i believe so um yeah link in our show notes that, that's amazing to uh see a little golden book for, for either people who grew up on them or who as parents have you know read their kids little golden books to see a D one is a yeah. thing i did not think would happen and we get ever closer to the benchmark sean mm-hmm. yeah i know of the mm-hmm. D baloney mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all we need in life it's all we're waiting for <laughs> it's the uh, sandwich that you need Yes. Uh, Polygon.com had an article about the surprising role that D&D and board games are playing in Iran. Uh, so in, in RPG and board game cafes, people of all ages, genders, and backgrounds are gathering to play board games in D&D in these cafes. In response to the strict rules governing permitted and restricted types of entertainment in the country of Iran. Uh these cafes have become a safe option where people can relax and enjoy each other's company in public without as much scrutiny uh, as they might get in other venues or doing other things. And, uh, and even the else? ability yeah. to get together. So the article is sort of saying, like, you can't get together with, say, people of a different gender in, in you know, a whole list of locations. Right. So but this is not. <laughs> subject to that so it creates this really nice place where people come together and, and just be really relaxed and play games and and D is a big part of it other board games and other role-playing games as well really cool read. Yeah, it's, an, it's a really interesting read and you can find it in our show notes at and also at polygon.com uh last but not least the dice breaker tabletop awards dice breaker is a game news site and they've announced that they're creating these awards to celebrate the year's best board games and role-playing games. The quote from the site was, the Tabletop Awards will recognize both established and emerging talent in the industry, as well as games across a number of categories. In future years, we hope to introduce further categories to shine a spotlight on even more of the industry and the often unsung creators who work on every game. Uh, any, any notes on this? Yeah, really cool. So we have until November 14th to nominate. So you can go to the to dicebreaker.com and then look for their tabletop awards section on their banner. And from there, you can you can nominate anybody that you think deserves this sort of recognition. And there are only a few categories right now. I think that's the kind of downside to this is you have best board game, best RPG, best ongoing card game. People's Choice, which is Tabletop Game of the Year, chosen by public vote, Designer of the Year, Publisher of the Year, and then two Rising Star Awards, Designer and Publisher. And that, I think, um, you know, what one of the things I, I look at with this, it's like, well, you're going to get some pretty popular choices here with these things. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I like about the Annie's is that sort of everyday people can can sort of win that nomination stage. And that makes it kind of cool right and that uh that there's some excitement of could you be you know a little bit of a dream and when i looked at this i was like well i don't know that a lot of people i know could possibly win one of these right it's sort of a too high level so i'm excited to see what they do over time building on this it's smart of them to start small and 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 they're saying they're going to add more categories i think as they add more categories this could become really interesting Mm -hmm. and the winners will be announced at pax unplugged on december 2nd So, Sean, it's time for our looking back at inspiration, backgrounds, and equipment. 
I am ready to do that. Uh, so what we are doing, if you have not been paying attention for the last oh few months, is we are revisiting 5th edition. Since it's been 10 years since the release of the first public play test packet for D&D Next, uh, and eight years since the release of the first starter set. We have gone through the first three chapters, and we are now tackling chapter four, personality and backgrounds. Uh, last time that we talked about these things, all the way back on September 29th, it's been a while because of one D&D playtest packet releases, yeah. um, we reviewed the personality traits, the ideals, the bonds, and the flaws. We talked about how these attempts to define character uh, in a way that can interact with the game has been attempted. It's been done in other games, like Fate's Aspects or 13th Ages, one unique thing, and how that sort of works better with the game mechanics of those games than these personal characteristics did with 5th edition D&D. &D. Um, right. And so now it's time to continue our look at Chapter 5 by talking about inspiration. And <laughs> we had our question about inspiration earlier in our news episode. So now we are going to delve a little bit deeper into that. Uh, do you want to tell us what gaining inspiration says in this player's handbook of ours? Yeah, and, and this is I mean, it's important to mention, this is a brand new mechanic, right, that did not mm -hmm. exist in this form or really anything close to it in previous editions. So it says, your DM can choose to give you inspiration for a variety of reasons. Typically, DMs award it when you play out your personality traits, give in to the drawbacks presented by a flaw or bond, and otherwise portray your character in a compelling way. Your DM will tell you how you can earn inspiration in the game. Right. So it, it says, this is how you earn inspiration, but the DM will actually tell you how that you earn inspiration. <laughs> well, but it does say, I mean, yes, it could do a better job of it, but it does say, you know, what is the roadmap? It's personality traits. It's right. the drawbacks from flaws and bonds, right? It's it's, it's those things that we're, we just covered in this section. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the feedback has been, well, that doesn't quite work. <laughs> right? I mean, I think yeah. DMs prior to even one D&D &D coming out, people have been saying, boy, it's really hard. Like, it's hard for me to remember two personality traits, flaw, bond, ideal, all of that for six characters or even four. And in fact, even players are like, it's hard to remember all of these things about myself. So Yeah. And and it's interesting because, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, what's that word for? One of the negative things that people have always said about D&D &D mm -hmm. is, right, it's all, it, my game turns into R-O-L-L -L playing rather than R-O-L-E playing. And boy, I wish there was a way that I could, you know, mechanically give benefits to people that actually play their character and don't metagame, which we talked about uh, in our last episode. And so 5th edition actually gave people this. Mm -hmm. And getting what they had been asking for people couldn't or wouldn't use it. And partially it is because it is hard to use, yeah. but it, it is also very easy to use, <laughs> right? It's, it's not, it's not hard for me to say, okay, the smartest thing that your character could have done game wise would be not insult the, the 
the queen. But since your character hates royalty, you insulted the queen. It's going to make your life harder. But here's inspiration for playing your character as it should be played. And it, you can't make it any easier than that. It's not necessarily mm -hmm. mechanically complicated. It's not necessarily mechanically um, you know, enmeshed in the game. But it's very easy to do. Sure. Except brains don't work that way, Sean. <laughs> I, but, so from two ways, right? One is okay. like I think of the 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 earning on the earning side, mm -hmm. um, making it, it it's hard because there are so many different aspects to the to the character with personalities, ideals, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to know when someone is being subtle about the reason for doing mm -hmm. it, and that that's actually right. good role playing. Um, and it's only easy if people overdo it, right? Mm -hmm. But then it feels like they're fishing for it. And now it right. feels like it's it's not, you know, like they're not being a good player, which is the opposite of what you're trying to drive. Um, right. The other thing is that when you role play well consistently, that becomes the base. And so we're not just giving, right? And yeah. then on the spending side, it's like my character who reached 18th level as a ranger in third edition with a potion of hiding or whatever it's called back then never using it mm -hmm. because there would always in my brain be a great moment to use this thing and someday I'm, oh i'm gonna use this for sure and you know there i am retiring from the campaign with this stupid potion that i could have used any number of times and that's the problem with this sort of like use it before you roll and then mechanically advantage is heavy you do want to use it before you roll mm -hmm. but you know, then that means that okay. we're always saving it for the perfect time. And well, you're talking about two different things here, right? You're talking about advantage. Yes. I was talking about earning inspiration. Sure. Sure. You're talking about using advantage. Both using which, the inspiration to which, gain which advantage are connected. and the earning yeah. of it, right? But yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, your the first part of what you said goes back to what I was saying in that it's it's very easy to give inspiration. It's very hard to know when to give inspiration for the fact that the game does not take into account role playing, role playing in terms of doing things outside of combat. Obviously, you can role play in in combat, uh, but it it doesn't it doesn't mesh well with the rest of the game. In fate, it works because you are always looking at your aspects. Yeah. You're always looking at these things. So you you are the one, the player, you as the player are the one in those games that say, I, I'm going to do this thing that's part of my character. So and it's it's bad for me. So give me my fate point. Yeah. And players of D&D &D have not been trained to do that. Well, and, and and the mechanic doesn't train you to do it, right? It doesn't Right. There's nothing that that's nothing in the rules really support that. While they suggest it, you know, hey, play mm -hmm. to your flaw. It it doesn't really explain how, but if you look if you read the fate rules, the fate rules are like when you do this, get your benefit, right? Like mm -hmm. Get your point. That's how you and you are supposed to do this. You're playing an actor, right? You're you're sort of like right. like an actor playing a role. And so you must do this because that's what your guy does. And then take this benefit for what your guy or gal did. 
Right. And, and so that's why, uh, you know, it, it sort of goes back to the question at the beginning of our episode of, you know, what, uh, what does inspiration mean and, and how is it used and how it, how it doesn't really work in this game. It's, it doesn't, Yeah, it doesn't. So you can't make something that's very easy to do but not talk about how to use it. So even though it's very easy to do, it's still hard to do. If if that makes yeah. any sense, right? They, sense. They, they made it the easiest thing in the world to do. Here's an inspiration. You did this thing. There's no rolling involved. There's no, you don't have to go through a chart to figure it out. It's just as the DM, you can say, cool, here. It takes two seconds. But yeah. the game itself does not support it. And as much as the players and the DM might say, this is what we want. Unless you do it, it isn't what you want. It's what you think you want. Right. But and, you and really don't. I would love to see one D&D try a bunch of permutations of this, right? Like, what mm -hmm. if every time you did something that's a core class ability, you could receive inspiration if you succeed at it? So mm -hmm. like if I'm a rogue and I disarm a trap and I do it, I gain inspiration, right? Mm -hmm. Or um, or if I'm a fighter and I, you know, go forward and lead the charge, right, that that would unlock it. Like each class could have mm -hmm. ways that you do this. And so you're reinforcing your role. Or right. maybe it instead of being all these different background things, you know, I'm picking an aspect of that to say that this is a thing that my character does often. And when I do that, I get it automatically, right? So a little more like that right. aspect that's not four things to remember, but it really is like a thing. Like my whole thing is I'm an ex-pirate. So when I do the following yeah. things related to being an ex-pirate, then, yeah. you know, this works for me and I gain inspiration from it. I'd yeah. love to try that system and maybe it's no good, but I'd like to try it. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think it goes even further. I think that it if it doesn't give you the mechanical heft in the game that it needs to gain your attention, mm -hmm. then it's never going to be used or it will be used very rarely. So what I'm saying is something like this. I mean, I would never do this in a, a D and D game, mm -hmm. but this is the kind of weight that you would give it. You can't do your cool thing. You can't roll with advantage. You can't sneak attack. You can't cast your highest level spell unless you have inspiration to use. Now, you would need to have more than one inspiration because you might need to do a bunch of things. Yeah. But, you know, then you have the player's attention. Sure. Then you're saying, OK, I need to role play my character. I need to engage in the story side of this if I want to do the cool things right, mechanically. Right. Now you have integrated it into the game. Sure. Now people are saying, let's play, let's role play for a bit, shall we? So I can, so I can sneak attack, so I can have advantage on my roll, right? So I can use that feat right. to do 10,000 points of damage at first level. Now you have the player's attention. Yeah, I mean, and, and a way of that that may be more palatable for some is, you know, what if your rogue to sneak attack had to do something fun to... In, to cause that sneak attack right like you have to mm -hmm. swing on the chandelier or duck behind the barrel or whatever right which is somewhat like the old school way we used to play like sneak a rogue sure. to sneak attack would spend all this time trying to describe how they could even earn it 
And I'm not looking right. for that level of, you know, four rounds, no. you know, scuttling around, but more like, you know, that as you move up to this ogre to sneak attack them, that you are explaining why that works, right? That you do a barrel roll as you get there or whatever it is, you know, and get into position and, and attack from the other side. Um, so, so I, yeah, I love, I'd love to see some, some version like that. But what I do see in one D&D, I think that what I'm seeing, Sean, is stepping back from this very concept that we see here, right? When we look at the definition of inspiration in the fifth edition 2014 Player's mm -hmm. Handbook, it is about these personality traits and all this sort of thing and clearly role-playing based. Mm -hmm. If I look at one D&D, now it's about getting a result on a die or waking up when you're the particular class. So what does that do to the game? Because I don't see any role-playing here. Right. What is and, and inspiration that, that, becoming? Exactly. And w that that is the question. What is it becoming? Why is it still in the game if we are now divorcing it from the actual point of its being in fifth edition? If it's just one more way to roll one more die, right. uh, as as our question said earlier, then really what good is it? And, and, and it's I not like we need it power wise right it's not like players are going oh no we're always getting creamed by our evil dms you know we can never win encounters we need some power up it's the opposite right the dms are crying and asking for help so why are we giving more ways to get advantage um and i think that you know so but but maybe the design team is saying we don't want this to, we no longer want it to be a role-playing mechanic like it mm. is in fate or in these other games we want it to be a sort of fun, action-y type thing. To which I say, mm -hmm. great, you had action points. Those mm -hmm. work that way. Right. right. People loved using their action point uh, to, to take a second attack or whatever. And you see it in Action Surge in the Fighter, which fighters love using. Um, but there are other ways to do this that I think are, are less cumbersome. To me, advantage is a heavy mechanic to just mm -hmm. give as a benefit. Um, so like I played a version of 3E that a friend of mine sort of made their own 3E version where during play, we would earn these little chips. So it's like a little token thing and they were in a basket and any minor thing you did that was cool would get you one of those. And you could at any point cash it in to add a plus one. And you just had mm -hmm. to explain what was happening in the game, right? So I'm yelling encouragement to my friend. I'm you know moving into position plus one to their role. And you did it almost as like a reaction, but didn't consume a reaction, right? But you just do it whenever. And so, you know, you might miss on an attack roll, but then all your friends cash in four of these benefits and suddenly it's a hit. And you could do it, you know, you could just spend them until the DM goes and you hit. And, and you're, but you're explaining why, right? Right. That was actually really fun. As much as it was super mechanical, it was super, you know, grainy and, and, and tangible as a non-world thing in a lot of ways, it was very fun. It was very, you know, it was like action points, a thing that doesn't make sense, but is fun to use and spit in. And so the team mm -hmm. could go for something like that, right? I'd love to see different attempts at this. Okay, so so we're getting into advantage now and that. So let's let's go yeah. there. Um, so using inspiration in, in 5e, if you have inspiration, you can expend it when you make an attack roll, saving throw, or ability check. Spending your inspiration gives you advantage on that roll. You can also give your inspiration to another character. So, you know, I think we've we've come to the conclusion that inspiration was a good idea. It may not have been integrated into the game as well as it could have been. 
Uh, so there is an interesting thread on Twitter. It's from a month ago now, and it's from at Dan Talks Games about why they don't like 5e conversions of games. And the whole advantage-disadvantage system is one of those reasons. And it's a very interesting read, and it gets down into some pretty complex math about what advantage and or disadvantage really does to a die roll, as opposed to adding a plus two or a plus mm -hmm. three or a plus four or a plus five. Um, and advantage or disadvantage, depending on the difficulty target number that you're trying to hit, could be more valuable than a plus five in in, in right. certain cases. And in other cases, so, it's less than that, but yeah. Right, right. but mm -hmm. it's, it's generally better than like a plus three or a plus four, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty significant. And that leads to questions about those, the, the bonded accuracy or bounded accuracy mm -hmm. system and what that really means, what a, what a D20 system does. And I can understand having advantage, inspiration and the advantage that comes with it. Not to mention when people do re-rolls as opposed to advantage, because that even jumps that number up even more, uh, what the bonus is. But uh, what problem is it trying to solve? Now, is D&D &D and other D20 games are pretty swingy mm -hmm. in the sense that a fighter who's trained in athletics you know, can try to break a door down and a very weak character not trained in athletics can break a door down. Not at the same rate, obviously one has more advantage, you know, is better at right. it, but it's not unheard of. And it was picked on in a, in one of those, what was the, the movie that they did where the fighter was trying to open the door, the, the, the adventurers, the uh, oh. it was one of those movies where gamers the fighter, or... the gamers, yeah, he's trying to lift the gate and the wizard just walks up and does yeah. it because of the die roll. Yeah, because he's so raw you get 20. you, yeah, you, know, you get things like that. And what an advantage system can do is let you alleviate that sort of weirdness right. in the in the swinginess of the, of the mechanical numerical system. Um, but how often do people actually fail in D and D to the point where it's noticeable that they are not that the system itself is letting the game down? I wouldn't say much. So sure. having this system in place to fix that, I don't know if it's necessary or if it's even helpful. Um, I mean, I definitely feel like. In third edition, there were a lot of, of moments in play, and then this is true of earlier editions too, but third is where skills start mattering, uh, where you would roll a skill check and you are the master diplomat and you roll a three. Mm -hmm. And it's so disappointing because you and character just made a really cool thing and you have taken mm -hmm. all the feats and all the whatevers and you're supposed to be this amazing diplomat and you just rolled a three and now you're shafted. <laughs> it's like right. none of this feels right. Um, but I, I guess that sort of inherently just is the reality of, of, a, of a D20 based game. And even if you give advantage, that, of course, can still happen, though you're lessening the chance of it. So 
Yeah, I don't know. Um, to me, advantage is less about, you know, adjusting the curves, though it certainly does that, and more about the reward mechanic. So I was, I was actually this last um, weekend when at, we were at GameholeCon, I paid a lot of attention to advantage at my tables, either ones that I was running or I was playing at. And it was interesting to see, you know, people get happy when they have advantage. When, it, when it's given to them. And, and in fact, most happy when it's given to them to spend right then and there. Doesn't even matter if it's an important role. This is what I noted. Didn't matter why you were rolling, but just, you know, oh, you gain advantage of that. Oh, great. You know, like that's a happy times. And to me, that's what I like about it. It's that yeah. it is this pick me up that comes in. And so the worst of it is actually when I connect it to inspiration, because now it's like my potion of hiding. It's this thing that I should use in some optimal make it count way when that's sort of not the fun. The fun of it is, is, Hey, use this right now. This is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I found myself at the games I ran giving exactly what you said when I wanted the character to succeed mm -hmm. because there was something important to do, but they needed that success. Yeah. And just giving them the success didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So I would say, oh, you are trying to figure out what this light does. I want you to know what this light does. I know you're trained in Arcana and you're a third level character. So you're at plus three plus you know, another three, probably. So you're at least plus six. So if I give you advantage, that's a, probably at least a plus four. And I'm going to set the DC at 10. So even if you roll <laughs> a one or a two, um, you're probably going to succeed. And I don't want that one to derail everything. So you have advantage. Yeah. Oh, you got a one and a four. Oh, the DC was only 10. So you still made it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I'm doing that mental math in my head while I'm running a game. And, you know, it, it totally, I think, makes sense um, for me as the game master to use that as a tool. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. in terms of, yes, people pepping up and, and being very excited to get advantage and use it right away. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But I'm not, I'm, this is, cut this quote out. I'm not <laughs> running a game to make people feel good. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's a clip right there. That's yeah, cool. yeah, obviously I am. Yeah. But I also want there to be, at points, the chance of failure. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, there's, there's, the, you're there's running two the sides story, the not just the pleasure points, right? The stories have right. has ups and downs and yeah. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a tool for, for DMS. It's a, it's a tool for players, but like you said, it's also this little Pavlovian response for players. And yeah. I'm less concerned about those those Pavlovian responses than I am about making sure the game flows smoothly. So, yeah, you know, it's that too. It's yeah. I mean, you know, like one of my big campaigns that I ran, I would give inspiration at the beginning of every game, mm -hmm. and because it was a harder campaign, and you know, it's a it, it was I think always the case or very close to always the case that by the end of it someone still had their their inspiration in fact probably two people still had their inspiration while others would use them but it's that idea of, of 
I mean, you know, when we're going back to what, what's the point of our talking about this section, right? I, I think the thing is 2014's inspiration, you know, is it great? No. <laughs> right? no. I, mean, I think that's pretty clear. And, and right. you can ask any number of, of, of GMs or players and they'll tell you the same thing. It, it's, it falls short of whatever it is that it's trying to do. And it's not even that clear what it's trying to do. It, it looks like what yeah. it's trying to do is incentivize role playing in the 2014 version. In the yeah. new version, it looks like it's trying to drive some sort of engagement um, based on, I don't know, class features and what you roll. So, yeah. uh, and, and I think that maybe is the, the biggest thing is, you know, what is what does 5e need with regards to inspiration? It needs to go back to the drawing board and really think about what mm. it's doing and why. Right. And then really play test that hard as to what is, is it achieving that goal of whatever it's doing. And it maybe can do more than one thing, but but it's in its current form, right? It's it's falling short on sort of any metric of what it's doing. You've got people who aren't using it. You've got people who don't know when to award it or forget to award it or, you know, any of that. Forget how to earn it. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's not. Yeah. Yep. Unfortunate. All right. So so the last part of the chapter is backgrounds. Um, this is what the book says about backgrounds. Every story has a beginning. Your character's background reveals where you came from, how you became an adventurer, and your place in the world. So I loved backgrounds when I read about them mm -hmm. uh, for the first time. They were introduced in 5e, um, and I love them for one important reason. They helped players, especially new players, understand their character quickly while getting some game mechanical stuff in there without them having to pour through proficiencies and languages and equipment and characteristics. Yeah. Uh, they could just sort of get it in one package. So uh, the other thing that was important about them was that they weren't important. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they had importance tied to them sort of haphazardly. Yeah. Who you were is important for your story you know, maybe having some proficiencies might be important, but they, they didn't have any bearing on what you were at 18th level and the choices that you were making then. You you could just pay, take whatever as you created the character, and the more important things are as you build up from there. So when I see choices and power being added to backgrounds, I get nervous because paradoxically, they become less useful in terms of getting players into the game, the more power you give them. Yeah. Uh, at least that's my take. No, I, I agree. Um, so a couple of things I want to add on my end. One is that backgrounds are one of the, have been, in the 2014 version, they're one of the easiest things to analyze from a game design perspective, right? So like if you're teaching someone 5e game design, backgrounds is an excellent place to start because you can just say, hey, every background gets one or more of these, and here's the formula. And mm -hmm. it's really nice and clean, and I always like that about it. I know you've taught this to your, your classes on game design and things like that. And it's, yep. it's great because it's so so clear and transparent, right? And, and so the variance is, is less about, I mean, yes, of course you're choosing it a bit for proficiencies. Oh, I can get a free you know, stealth proficiency, that, and that's fine. That's not a problem uh, in most cases, but but that concept is what's sort of coming across, right? The I am an ex-sailor or pirate. I am a noble. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that are kind of cool. And, and I think it does that reasonably well. Um, 
And I think the biggest problem is that I think the designers want, hearing what they're saying, want more out of it. They want this to resonate further than it does currently. And I agree with you on this paradox where the more you try to do, especially in light of how big a class is, how big an ancestry is, it it just it clashes. And I don't know that it's going to provide that result. And and it was very interesting for me at GameholeCon running three games of my Ocean's Flump playtest where everybody began as a flump. And I asked the players, hey, you know, while I'm telling you what, what how we're going to start up, I want you to know that I'm going to ask you for three things. Your name. So, of course, this led to very silly flump names. That's fun. Um, your role in our little commune that we start in. And something interesting that makes unique from other flumps. Your sort of flump one unique thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all players kind of go like, oh, geez, you know, I got to come up with this. Ooh. But as we're talking, whatever, they just jostling down. And boy, the things they come up with. Mm -hmm. And those things come up later in play over and over again. Right. The person who organizes things explains what they're doing in this particular room because they organize things back in their whatever and, and on and on. Like these just played out where and I was really blown away about how good people are at coming up with these with, with reinforcing their character when it's really simple. And I mm -hmm. think the more you complicate it and the more you mechanize it, it takes away from that because now it's just this thing over there. Mm -hmm. But but I think that if, if it were, you know you're an ex-pirate, tell me why this matters to you, would be better than a lot of structure. Mm -hmm. And the more that you start giving people feats and whatevers, the less resonant it's actually going to be, which just seems weird, but I think that's, that's true. So I totally agree with you on that paradox aspect. Yeah, yeah. And so what do backgrounds give? They give proficiencies, languages, equipment, and characteristics. Um, so proficiencies, they you know give a couple... And the what I like about proficiencies coming in through backgrounds is, as I said before, since this isn't third edition where you wanted to make sure that you had five ranks of tumble mm -hmm. because you wanted to do this or your your feet required you to have these skills also at a certain rank. Right. Uh, in, in that way, if backgrounds were like that in this game, it would be very important that you chose the background that gave you the ranks and acrobatics so you could spring attack, et cetera, right. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but 5e was simple enough where you could just say, yeah, I don't care if I have yeah, survival versus arcana. It, it's not going mm -hmm. to matter a lot in the character that I'm envisioning mechanically. Uh, Languages, same thing. You know, we've talked about languages before and how important or not they should be in a campaign. The equipment that you get from backgrounds is generally esoteric stuff. Um, you get gold and then a few fun things, very little game mechanically uh, relevant. Yeah, and then and our, the characteristics... our next chapter is equipment, so we'll, we'll hit that yeah. more yep. you know, when we get there. Yeah. And then the characteristics are just those charts where you can sort of pick out your traits, uh, you know, your personality trait background flaw and bond um I, I don't want backgrounds to change i don't want them to change i if anything i want them to become easier not yeah. more more difficult for all the reasons you said um x pirate to me has so much more story uh related weight 
than a background that is X pirate with these feats or these features, mm -hmm. you know, all of this. Uh, for, for all the reasons we talked about, it's very easy to remember X pirate as a player, and then you can draw that in. It's much harder to have this full background with all of these rules associated with it. What do you make of the uh, 2014 Player's Handbook's backgrounds? They have the feature, right? So like the, mm -hmm. I can request shelter at a church because I'm an acolyte or, you know, I am a noble and, you know, people will do the following for me or I have retainers, you know, like, what, what do you make of these? I, I think that they, they didn't, they didn't do enough for players and they did too much for DMs. Mm. Yeah. Right. Because the players looked at it and said, this doesn't give me a plus one to hit on anything. So I'm not even going to bother looking at it. What, you know, I want more, I want something crunchier. And DMs looked at it and said, well, this is all sort of role-playing stuff. So unless the player reminds me that they have criminal contacts in this city, I'm just going to make them role play it out and make persuasion checks or deception checks or whatever checks to find out the information that they actually should just know because of that. So it was, it was the paradox writ large, right? Mm -hmm. It was not enough for players. It was too much for DMs and it didn't, um, didn't hit a sweet spot that worked for both sides of this complex game we play. Yeah, so so looking at that to make it maybe more concrete for listeners, like if you, if you're a acolyte, you command the respect of those who share your faith. You can perform you know rites for your deity and whatever. So you you may not be a cleric, but you know these types of things. And then it says that um, you can expect to receive free healing and care at a temple shrine or other established presence of your faith. That you need to pay for the material components. Uh, those who share your religion will support you, but only you at modest lifestyle. You might also have ties to a specific temple. While near it, you can call upon priests for assistance, provided it's not hazardous to them, and you're in good standing. And, you know, I wonder if it should really be, it would it be better if it were abstract, if it were more like, you know, choose a concept or a deity, you are close to these, and those who are close to them or similar deities will see mm -hmm. you in favor, will see you favorably. Like, it should just be... You know, with, with almost because this sort of tries to cross over into telling you what the benefits are without really doing that. And I appreciate that it doesn't say like, you know, it's 10 percent discount or whatever, but, but um, off the following spells. Right. But but it's it's sort of in between. And I, I wonder how the feature could work better or if it should even be well, really a feature. I don't know. We can go right back to where we almost started this conversation with if you say in there, you know, you you are connected with. The, this faith or this God or, or this network of temples. Um, and you can only gain, you can gain inspiration if you interact with these people uh, in a positive way. And you can only sneak attack if you have inspiration. Uh, you are now, you are now uh, role-playing. Right? <laughs> you are now players again. They're, now they're paying attention to this. Yeah. Now this gives them something. If they, follow their characters personality flaws bonds etc mm -hmm. now now you're there now you have their full attention um and do i think players would accept that no 
I don't know if even DMs would accept that. Yeah, well, uh, how do you make any of it? Like, like um, actually, I was looking at the criminal contact, and it's pretty good at being nebulous. Like, it just says you have a <laughs> reliable and trustworthy contact that is connected to other criminals. And I, I've, this is one of the ones I've seen used the most in play, where mm -hmm. I'll, where the player will say, hey, I've got this criminal contact. And especially new players do this. Old ones get it beaten out of them. But, but, uh, but new players will say, I have a criminal contact. Do they know anything about this group? And the DM will be like, ah, oh, no, not really. <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's nothing teaching the DM to say, right, to say absolutely, yes. let, me, let me tell you how, to, how we're going to work for, you know, yes and with this, right? Right, right. But the DM and, should absolutely say, yes, let's set and, up a meeting with your contact or, right. you know, let's play this that, out. Let's... That's what I mean about being too much for the DM. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what it's doing to the to a DM who has created this story or created this yeah. world, it's taking it's not, but they feel like it's taking away their agency. Oh, yeah. now I have to change my story and my world because this player's little little thing says that they have a contact here that's going to short circuit the adventure rather than leaning into that and using that to build the world. DMs too often say, well, this is my world and I'm not going to put that in. So it's too much for the DM. And then it just, since the DM isn't yeah. going to give on that, it's not enough for the player. Uh, yeah, hmm. I think we agree there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, I forget what one D&D &D does with features. Oh, well, they give feats now. Or is it just the feats and that stuff goes I, away? Yeah. Okay. I think that stuff went away and it's just, yeah. you get the, this feat yeah. now. Now, some of the feats say some of these similar things, right? For the Knights of yeah. uh, Salamnia, it, it was, right, you right. had this it had connection. had a story aspect to it, which yeah. I like the story part of it. But yeah. Yeah. Ah, this is so fascinating. Ooh. Well, very it interesting. Is. I, I am curious what other folks uh out there listening think like like do you find your background matters do you want right. it to matter more or less if you're a gm if your dm is this hard to work with you know what do you want out of it I'd be curious yeah and fundamentally you dms and you players out there do you want the role-playing aspect of the game to matter more in the mechanical side of the game mm. is that important to you or does that separation allow you to play mechanically in one way and role playing in another way and not worry about any any interaction between the two what's your take we want to know <laughs> yes so we're going to close with that and we want to thank you those who have been patrons uh, in the past and we want to thank those who become new patrons so thank you you can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash mastering DND. There are three tiers for support. Uh, please do whatever one you know you are most able to. We don't want to take food off your table, nope. but we would also love to be able to um, support the show and do some cool things for all of our listeners. So Teos, where can people find you or your work on the socials? Yeah, find me at alphastream.org. From there, you can reach all my various efforts. I'm also on Twitter at alphastream. Where can we find you, Sean? You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can find the podcast on Twitter at MasteringDND. 
You can now join our community to ask questions on Patreon. And you can also leave comments on the brand new spiffy new car smell Mastering Dungeons YouTube channel. Mmm, phthalates. Okay, so Teos, now that we're done recording, what are we going to do now? Uh, I'm going to try to figure out how to take all these various files and put them into these various websites so we can kill monsters. And I will grant you inspiration. <laughs>